Hey, before we get started, I want to talk about my friends at Abbey Connect because potential customers can't reach someone. They're going to call the next company on their list because they don't leave voicemails. So you invest in websites and advertising. Shouldn't you invest in converting those calls into customers? So Abby Connect offers dedicated guaranteed call answering at a fraction of the cost of hiring a receptionist or an assistant. So for our listeners, that's you who is listening right now, Abby Connect is offering a no obligation free trial. After your trial is over, our listeners will receive 95 bucks off their first bill. And all you have to do is sign up at our special link, which is Abby Connect, A-B-B-Y, connect.com forward slash all business. Okay, let's get right to our guest. Now, I've got Jack Posobiec on here. Now, Jack has been known for a lot of things and a lot of them not good because there's a lot of people who don't like this guy, but I found him to be kind of interesting and a fairly decent guy, at least to talk to. And I think I'd like to have him over at my house, although I'm afraid he'll show up in some kind of Game of Thrones costume, but he's an American alt-right internet activist, conspiracy theory, and self-described journalist. And certainly you're going to hear this, pro-Trump, without question. Now, he he promoted that debunked thing around Pizzagate conspiracy theory that high-ranking Democratic officials were involved in a child sex ring. Now, he's had to back off of that because it was not true. Okay, it was ridiculous as all things. But anyway, there's a lot of things that we talk about in our conversation. And it's interesting to get his take on it about everything from Stormy Daniels to the guns and whether you could keep them or not keep them and what's been going on with the school shootings and everything else. Just a, it's a terrible time in our country right now, but it's good to have these kind of debates and good to have it. So if you would welcome Jack to our show. Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, Jack, my first question to you is really, what is the business that you're really in? Are you, you know, are you a commentator? I mean, how do you make your money? So recently I started working with One American News. I'm doing some reporting for them. I also have my uh, my book, Citizens for Trump, and I've got a new book coming out called 4D Warfare, sort of about online political political campaigns and political work that could be done. So, you know, selling my books and, and doing media reports here and there. Well, I mean, the, the nature of politics has changed the way we look at campaigns with fake news and everything else. In fact, I saw a post that you made here recently called Fake Book. I thought that was pretty good. Now, Facebook. Right. Fake Book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And then you wrote a note about theft. I mean, because they've really gotten in. I mean, you talk about some mess these guys are in. In fact, by the way, we should keep in mind because there's a lot going on this weekend and we're filming right or taping right after this. I say filming. I just got through doing a a new TV show for someone. But we're taping this right after the big, huge gun rallies that were in Washington and all around the country. So the timing. I was there, actually. Did you go? Yes. Did you go to to did now? Did you go to support the people or against the against the, the against? The, I don't know. How do you say they can't say against the people because there's four people who are you know for for limiting guns and those that are against limiting guns. I would say I went to to cover the event and see what was going on and what they had to say. I certainly didn't you know get in debates with anyone or anything, but I went there, made some live videos, kind of showed people what was going on, and just kind of gave my observations on it as an event. 
So let me get your take on it because I got tied up this weekend just doing family stuff and then trying to take care of my place back in South Dakota. So I was just checking in and watching things as they occur. What what did you think about the ma- I thought it was massive crowds. No, it was huge. I mean, this is definitely on scale with the women's march, on scale with the climate march that was held a little bit different because it wasn't held on the mall. I think they had some issues with getting a permit there, so they ended mm-hmm. up doing a they ended up kind of doing doing a rally on Pennsylvania Avenue instead. So it was a lot really cramped space instead of the, the big wide open mall there. But you know, definitely the optics look great on TV. And by, by all accounts, it was a very well put together event, very safe, you know, a lot of security, police out in full force, National Guard actually was mobilized for some of the crowd sort of crowd control and, and street blocking. And you know, everybody put that put it on really well. And nothing really in terms of, of uh, protesters or, you know, certainly no violence or anything like that. Yeah, I thought that was, well, one, that's always great when people can do peaceful marches and peaceful discourse on anything. Healthy debate's a good thing. But I mean, you you, you said the optics were great, but beyond the optics, I mean, damn, it was still a big crowd. I, I think we're at a pivotal point right now. I don't think we're going back the other way. Well, what's tricky is that, you know, and I listened to as many of the speeches as I could uh, walking around as I was there. And it was it was tough to see what if there was a specific political ask that they were going for. And if I was if I had one question for, I guess, the speakers, the organizers was, is there a specific, you know, legislation or policy measure that you're trying to achieve here? And what would that be? I mean, they mentioned assault weapons ban again. They brought up the idea of an AR-15 ban several times, but it wasn't really connective. It was just sort of something that popped up here and there. And then everyone certainly agreed, and I think everyone on all sides of the political spectrum would agree, that we don't want any more school shootings. But in terms of that policy standpoint, there wasn't really a coherent message on that front. Yeah, it's and people I don't think people understand the whole scope of this. I mean, what let's say that we do an AR15 ban. Ain't going to by the way it's not going to happen because you're not going to I I would highly doubt that. Yeah, and you're not going to get them back. I mean, I own an AR15. Let's be clear everyone that's listening, I own one. Why? Because I can't. All right. And I own other ones as well, other types of weapons, numerous weapons. One, because I can. Two, because I like them. Three, I like to shoot them and and I use them for different things. I mean, I saw the thing about if you need an AR-15 to shoot a deer, you got to be fucking nuts. Well, of course. No, first of all, it's illegal to shoot a deer with an AR-15. Let's be clear. You can't. And she, even though it shoots a 223 round, most people know that you can't use a gun like that for shooting deer with a, with a multiple round uh, magazine. So in mo- at least in most states, I don't know of any state that you can actually do that in. But, you know, I thought that was interesting what you said. What, it, what was the ask? Because for as many people that were there, I think there is that many ask. And I don't know if they know what the ask is yet. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I mean, if you look uh, in terms of some signs people were, ha- were holding uh, and it definitely spanned the gamut of people looking for, I mean, certainly this was in many ways, there was a lot of blame being placed on the NRA. That was sort of the, the focus of, of, if anything, the blame that they, they were ascribing for the event. But it definitely a full gamut from, you know, complete ban of all guns to ban the AR-15 to ooh, some people just kind of saying, well, we want reasonable gun control measures put in place. But then again, you know, no real specifics on what, uh, what that would look like 
or what that would be. Yeah, and I mean, to say an AR-15, what most people don't know, there's, I mean, there's AK-47s, there's all kinds of different NATO round guns that are out there that aren't AR-15s. There's very different versions leading up to an AR-15, and therefore, I mean, it's just all kinds yeah, of not stuff. to mention, uh, and honestly, not to mention shotguns that, oh, are, yeah. that are also readily available. How about a sweeper? And, um, How about a sweeper? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for those of you who don't know, this is a multiple round shotgun. That's that's what it means, a sweeper. You basically, it's a protection device or an offensive device, depending on how you want to use it, that would actually, you know, shoot multiple rounds of shotgun shells. And we're talking about double odd you know, double up buckshot or slugs, although double up buck would probably be what you'd use, which are large, large, large uh, pellets. It's the first thing I, by the way, is double up buckshot was the first thing I used on a, my deer hunting when I was 14, first time I shot a deer. And I still use it for turkeys too. So there you go. So yeah, it, it's going to be tough. It, you know, to how, how we, you outlaw it, but then how to get them back. You'll never get them back. I mean, I guarantee they'll be buried in someone's yard. They'll be buried in the woods. They'll be, not to mention wherever else they'd hide them. So it's it's a tough, tough debate. One person I was speaking to who's more on the pro NRA side was saying, or pro Second Amendment, you could say, I said, you know, these are the same people who say, well, you, you can confiscate 300 million weapons, but you can't deport 13 million illegal immigrants. Yeah, but I don't know if I tie the two of those together. I mean, this is well. Just from the perspective of of I can the that. government pragmatically yeah. do these things? Okay, that that part I agree with you. I just I just very very uh, want to be clear. I don't think those are two. Uh, those, those are two different things, right? <laughs> you know, and not to mention uh, there's a whole bunch of different stuff in that. How did you get? Because I, I got to tell you, I, I'm going to be real clear with you, Jack. Oh, in fact, before, before we do that, before I insult you and jump on you, okay? <laughs> let me let me take a break. <laughs> let me take a break. Talking about give me liberty, give me death, so to speak. That's what we're talking about. Let's talk about taxes. You ever thought about becoming your own boss? There's a lead in right there. How's that? How about owning a franchise and give the folks at Liberty Tax Service a call more than 20 years in business taxes and franchising. I love Liberty Tax. I really, truly do. They got great people. And by the way, they got a brand new CEO, Nicole, and she's from Rapid City, South Dakota. She's from my hometown. I went to high school in Rapid City, and that's awesome to see her there. What a small town gal who's gone up and risen to the very tops on the tops of the company. I'm so excited. I'm, I just, I'm going to go see her in, in a couple of weeks and I'm excited. So these guys have lots of, uh, lots of flexibility that you need to put you on the road to owning your own business. For more information, hey, check out visit libertytaxfranchise.com, the libertytaxfranchise.com. Okay, Jack, I got to tell you, I, I was reading about you, but I don't follow you. Okay, I got to tell you that. Okay. Be, 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 just like you probably, you're not listening to my every word. Okay, and I, I was, I was worried I wasn't going to like you, but I like you. Most people do like me. Yeah, just give me, give me five minutes. I can make it happen. Yeah, but you, but your views sometimes are a little caustic. We live in caustic times. What can I say? <laughs> That's fair enough. Fair enough. So how did you come to this? I mean, because I look at your background. I mean, you you spent time in China. Yes. You were a naval officer, Guantanamo yes. Bay. Yes. By the way, my my uh, nephew spent time at Guantanamo Bay, just just got back from deployment. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was in the Navy as well. Chief Petty Officer, Christopher Rice. Thank oh. you, Christopher. For oh, there you service. go. Yeah, yeah. Probably probably living in the same barracks I was. He, probably at, at one time or another. Yeah. So and then, by the way, you were in a movie, Forbidden Kingdom. What the, what role did you play in <laughs> Forbidden Kingdom? I remember yeah. that movie. 
Were you one of the Chinese guys in there? No, I'm just joking. What were no, you? no, I can confirm I'm, I'm, I was and, and continue to not be Chinese. Yeah. Um, but we did. We filmed the whole thing in China when I was living there. They were looking for American actors. So I, I went out for it and we ended up kind of playing this role as a Boston street gang that was supposed to kind of jump, you know, the main star of the film sort of beginning in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the film, he kind of learns Kung Fu from Jackie Chan and Jet Li, as you do. Yeah. And then later came back at the end and kicked all our butts. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, I, I, I thought that was interesting. I once tried out back in college for a movie. I was in a movie. I can't remember the name of it, but I was in Napoleon. I played with that the kid that played Napoleon Hill. And I played myself. And this is back in the mid-2000, I say around 2008, 2009. But once I tried out for a movie where I was a reporter for this Japanese guy who was skating across the United States. And I was a reporter on skates. So that, But I didn't get the role. There we go. That's enough. Enough of that deal. But how, <laughs> how, did, how did all of this, I mean, you, you, you were born in Pennsylvania, I think, and you were raised there. And then you, yeah, you, just outside Philadelphia. Yeah, you go and you take a job at the. I, I read your bio in the Chamber of Commerce in China, and then you did your work over there, and then the military. So, what what got you to the roles that you, in terms not roles, but the positions that you take now, the political positions that you take now? Was it that experience, or was it your parents? Where where did that come from? Yeah, you know, my parents, definitely not really political, I would say. Uh, both of them had been registered Democrats in the past, but, you know, kind of kind of apolitical as a party household, you know, weren't, I mean, they would go vote for president, but that was yeah, pretty much it. it. Certainly wasn't something we discussed a lot at home or or anything like that growing up. Honestly, I've asked myself the same question because, you know, I'm definitely uh, a conservative, but I don't really come from a conservative background in terms of where I grew up or in terms of, you know, family, family upbringing. But I think that for me, it's just been uh, tackling different issues as they come, taking a look at them and, and figuring out where I come out on that issue. And I've definitely changed over the years too, because, you know, when I was definitely, when I was first getting into politics in school back at Temple University in Philadelphia, I was leader of the college Republicans there, eventually became the college Republican guy for the whole state of Pennsylvania. And I was very much, you know, pro-Republican was kind of my thing. You know? mm-hmm. And I, I look back now and think, oh man, I didn't know any better. So for me, it was almost, it was like whatever, whatever the Republicans were saying was, was, was good enough for me. And I kind of bought into the party talking points of party line, if you, as it were. And, but then as I, as I gotten past that, so that's, that's, you're looking about 2005, 2006 timeframe. And then I noticed that when the, Republicans would get into office, though, the problem was that they never really followed any of the things that they said they were going to do. They never actually achieved any of those things. And then suddenly I started to realize that possibly they weren't really advocating or, or going for those things, that they were just sort of playing to a base. And then once they got into office, they were just doing whatever they felt like. So I think for a while there, I sort of moved away from politics and moved away from the Republican Party. And that that's actually when I joined the military. So I'd worked on a number of campaigns, uh, worked for Rick Santorum, Jim Gerlach, a lot of people in Pennsylvania. But I just got kind of fed up with the whole thing because I realized so much of it was the two parties, you know, the, the Democrats, the Republicans sort of morphing into this amorphous blob uh, when they got down to DC. And so I just had uh, kind of threw my hands up and said, to heck with the whole thing. Uh, so I first tried moving to China. I did that for two years, wanted to come back to the U.S., came back to the U.S., decided I want to join the military. So went and did that role and and stayed involved with that for many, many years, uh, about seven years. And then and then when the president, uh, when Trump started running, that's when I started to kind of kind of get that political itch again. And that's when I started uh, volunteering um, with a, with an outside group on his election campaign. You, you think we're at the breakdown of the two-party system now? You know, I think that there's a lot of a vacuum out there. I really do. 
I don't think the parties have as much power as they used to, quite honestly. I think that we're at a point now where, you know, somebody like, you know, like Trump or, you know, take any other celebrity or uh, like an like an Elon Musk or, um, well, prior to, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. He, not now, obviously, but but somebody, someone who has their, or Oprah Winfrey as an example. Well, I think Oprah should run. Don't you think Oprah yeah. should run? I think she should run. It would be a great move for her if she wanted to do it. Yeah. You know, get involved in the process. And so I think you're seeing this ability now of people with their own platforms, with their own mass followings, right? The people who have already, you know, 100% name ID that can now run. And because of the power of social media, which is something I, I'm all over, they can go around sort of the traditional structure of having a county party and a state party and a national party support you, et cetera. That, and, and Trump kind of paved the way. And really, Obama was doing that beforehand as well, because when he ran, in many cases, he built up his own campaign in areas and bypassed the party infrastructure. Yeah. So I, I think Oprah should run because I'd like to see a nice person run. And that'll put a stop to all this stuff about how, how nice the world should be, because it's not, this is a tough, tough business. I, you know, I was in it for years. This is a, this, they eat you alive. I mean, let's look at what they're doing with Trump right now. We'll talk about that in a few minutes with Stormy Daniels and a whole bunch of other stuff. But, you know, but then I would, one of the other reasons I want, I want Oprah to run because I can't wait to her to say, well, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. <laughs> I just think that's going to be so cool. You know, anyway, I think that'll be a fun thing to do, but you know, I think we're at that, we're at that point years ago, this, this is way back in 1992 when Ross Perot ran. I ran the term limits campaign in 26 states and I put term limits on the ballot. I helped. I was one of the organizers putting all these term limits in all of these land grant states because you can put that's in the western parts of the United States. You can put all these things on the ballot by just getting enough signatures. And and so we did that. And when Ross Perot was running, I, I actually talked to Ross and said, this was the time. I, it was before its time. Now I think it's the time is the creation of a Patriots party. And I said, let's base it on 13 principles, you know, like the 13 original states. And and I thought that would be a, a really cool way of being able to marshal that what I call this dissatisfaction on both sides. I think, you know, I'm on the opposite side of you. And yet there's a lot of things I don't agree with my party. There's a lot of things I do agree with the Republican Party. A lot of things I don't agree with the Republican Party. And to me, there's that middle ground. And I, I just see us, I see us missing. It is, uh, we're so caught up in the bullshit of the, of who's right and who's wrong rather than doing what's, what's really good. Yeah. And I think you saw that a lot from, from Trump's campaign on the right. And then I would also say the Bernie Sanders campaign on the left. Uh, you saw a lot of similar criticisms of the two-party structure, a lot of criticisms of the establishment. And I think that's really why so many people in the country gravitated to those two candidates. And you saw uh, you know, huge rallies for both of them. I think that Bernie Sanders was definitely tapping into something on the left that's similar in many ways because it's that sort of anti-establishment, uh, 99% versus 1% kind of, kind of strain that had existed in the time of Ross Perot. And in my, in my book, uh, shameless self-promotion here, but Citizens for Trump, I actually go back through the history of populist movements in the United States, going back to almost the revolution and all the way forward, looking at populism, um, uh, the Bull Moose Party that, that Teddy Roosevelt yeah, tried yeah. to get involved with at one point, and really showing that this strain has always existed in American politics. But now, because of a variety of factors, it's really taking off in ways that have never been seen before. Well, I think social is the real reason for that. I, I and we'll, we'll talk yeah, about that. That's, that's, bas that's basically what it. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, what I what I come out with saying. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that in a second because I think we're this is you know socials allowed us to be able to to bypass the traditional media and we'll talk about that in a second. Let me speaking about 
leaving messages and getting a hold of people and, you know, contacting. I want to talk about Abby Connect. Did you know that 80% of business callers don't leave a message when they reach voicemail? So customers want to connect with real people, not machines or recordings. I think we all know that. I hate leaving messages. I do, but, you know, a lot of people don't. 80% don't. So Abby Connect offers a dedicated and guaranteed call answering at a fraction of the cost of hiring a receptionist or assistant. This is an outsourced service. This is awesome. So I'm using this and you should use it. For our listeners, Abby Connect is offering a no obligation free trial. And after your trial is over, our listeners will receive $95 off their first bill, but only when you sign up at our special link. Now here, here it is. Abby Connect, A-B-B-Y connect.com forward slash all business. You got it? AbbyConnect.com forward slash all business. So sign up today and uh, hey, I thank them for, uh, this is my message for them. I'm leaving it for them right now. We thank you for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, there we go. But let's let's get back to this. I, I think we, you know, because all the pundits, if you remember election night said, oh, Hillary's winning, Hillary's winning, Hillary's winning. Boom. You know, I'm on a, I'm, I'm on a flight back on a red eye from San Francisco heading to New York, you know, at two or three o'clock in the morning, me and one other guy were streaming the stuff on the plane and we both, you know, we both had our lights on. We both looked up at each other when we finally figured out that Trump won and went, holy shit. And I, <laughs> we're at that moment now where, where the social piece of it's really taken over, in my opinion, major media, right? Well, there's, there's one line from my book that, that I, I think kind of like play, lay, lays it out for me. And I said, FDR won because of radio, JFK won because of TV mm-hmm. and Trump won because of social media. Well, Obama, I would give Obama that too. And Obama, think, yeah, absolutely. I, I think Obama, I think it really, I, in my opinion, that's what really helped him mobilize his whole thing. But I, but I believe the, I really truly believe Trump. So, so what you're that. saying is whoever uses social media can beat Hillary Clinton. Well, whoever uses social media <laughs> aptly. I mean, so I, yeah, I think yeah. we're, you know, because a lot of people give a lot of a lot of crap to the president that he's going right to Twitter. And he's bypassing the old traditional stuff, which I think pisses the media off a great deal, right? Yeah, you know, I heard that last week um, with the Tillerson situation. They said, well, Rex Tillerson didn't find out about what was going on until Twitter. And yeah, well, that's, that was shitty. Come on. And some people are coming back and forth on and saying this and that. But I think that and, and yeah, they said something why actually that Rex had talked to Kelly on Friday, the day before, whatever. But I do also see so you can see the danger of it, right? If there's if there's too much chaos internally well, when you try to set policy. Yeah, yeah is but it right? I I don't think the genie's going back in the bottle on this. No, I don't think I don't think so either. I think it's it's out, it's there. He's doing it. He's been doing it well, quite frankly. You can say he, you know, he doesn't, but I'll guarantee you one tweet will dominate the headlines for 4 days. I mean, I I personally think he did remember when he did Kafafi? I yes. think I think he did that on purpose. I don't think that was a mistake. I think he goes, "Hey, watch this. I can put I can type Kafafi and these idiots will talk about it for 4 days." <laughs> it was either either that or it was one of those. It well, was one of those where he typed it. I, I honestly, and this is just my personal thing. I think he was falling asleep when he when he wrote it. I think. Well, I think. It, well, I'm going to give him more credit because I, I'm going to give him more credit. I look at it when I'm sleepy and I'm like, "What the heck was I writing?" Yeah, I'm going to give him more credit because he's a he. A lot of people don't think he thinks this stuff out. He's well, you know. It, there, there used to always be a controversy right before the finale of of a Celebrity Apprentice, for instance. And there'd be some bad thing happened to Miss Universe or Miss USA or something. There was right, always right, something, right, right. if you remember. And there was a press conference a week before or two weeks, so that got the ratings up, and they'd have 13 million people watching or 20 million people watching. So I always thought that was pretty good. But I, I think that's what he does. I think he. I, I do think it was shitty though that Rex Tiller. 
Thorson's got to find out he got he got canned over a tweet. I, you know, I think you should be. I think you should man up on that. I tell the president that. I tell him that personally. I'd, I'd say, hey, look, man up. Tell call, pick up the phone and call the guy. You're the president. You can get a hold of anybody you want, right? Now, at least, at least, at least be the one to let him hear those uh, those two famous famous word catchphrase. Yeah, exactly. You're fired. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, I, I think you trademarked that. Hey, so this weekend, you as you know, last night actually, there was a 60 minutes interview of Stormy Daniels. Do you, do you think he's getting a fair shake with this thing? So it. It strikes me as odd because, you know, this is something where I've, again, seen, you know, when we talk about the country being divided, I see one part of the country, the left, that's just so focused on this story. And I don't hear anybody in the right really talking about it whatsoever. They just don't care. Well, is it because they don't care just more like this? I mean, the same thing happened with Clinton, right? So Clinton had all his stuff, right? And right. so the, re- the right talked about that then. Right. I mean, it was all over. I mean, where was Rush Limbaugh? It was a t- every day on Rush Limbaugh for months or years. And then then this happens to this president. I don't hear anything on that side. Right. Well, I think what ended up happening, quite honestly, is that I mean, you're looking at a generational situation. Like for me, I, I was look, I'm 33. I was I was a little young when the Clinton stuff was coming out. I mean, I remember it, but not, you know, not. Uh, sort of a day-to-day basis. Man, now, now you're really pissing me off. Okay? I know. Piss I'm off. sorry. But <laughs> but I also think that it – so the, the left kind of won that argument through the whole impeachment process and, and everything that happened. They they sort of won that argument in terms of – you know, and I remember the talking point. It was what the president does in his private life doesn't matter as long as it doesn't affect the job. And that's what was said again and again and again by the left. And that sort of won out Clinton stayed in, his, stayed in office. Yeah, the only problem I still have with the Clinton is that some of that stuff happened in the White House. Right. And that to be in a Me Too environment shouldn't happen. Well, no, right? no, no. I don't, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying from a sort of public opinion standpoint, I think that that yeah. kind of won the day and sort of closed the lid on that argument. So that's why this stuff with Stormy Daniels or this, this, this other uh, playmate that's out there from you know, 12, 15 years ago, that it's, it's just not landing. It's not really affecting the president's numbers. It's not affecting his support. People just kind of shrugging their shoulders that are, that are Trump supporters. I, I think it's a difference when it's consensual versus non-consensual. Well, and that's a big part of it too, because everything you listen to, this is not a Juanita Broderick situation. This is, you know, they're Everything she's claiming, and again, we don't know if it's true or not, so I will throw that out there. But everything she's claiming says that, yeah, she she was happy to to participate. Yeah, I th- yeah, I don't. I think. Come on, you you don't believe it's true? What can I say? It wasn't there. No, got it. Come on, you got to have an opinion about it. Look, I know the guy. It's got it's it's true. It's absolutely true. It's on everything you, we know about Trump, you know, from being the Playboy that he was, from the fact that he's been in right. Playboy magazine, it certainly doesn't come as a surprise to anybody that Donald Trump would be, you know, with with different women. Yeah, I don't think any of us uh, would be surprised. Okay, here's a big question for you: Why are you so pissed off about the Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> so no, for me because. Because I was a big fan of the book series going all the way back to like high school, man. And they haven't finished the books. The TV show is going forward way past where the books are. We don't know what's going to happen in the books. We don't know if the plot's going to be the same. And George R. R. Martin, you know, for as much as I love the guy's writing, he just refuses to finish writing these books, man. And it's driving me nuts. <laughs> so you start a podcast? I did. No. So I started a, a what well, started as a Twitter account and then it turned into, yeah, then it turned into a blog, then it was a podcast. And then, yeah, yeah it got kind of big because 
I just, it just drove me nuts. The fact that they started, it kind of started out satirical because there were people that nitpicked the show so much talking about how the, you know, the little things differed from the books, but then it really started differing from the books. And what can I say? The thing picked up, it got a lot of followers, a lot of listeners, and I had a lot of fun with it. Please tell me you don't go to like Comic Con or the dress up costume con and do and dress up as a Game of Thrones. Oh, guy. I totally have. I totally have. Not gonna that, lie. Yeah, seriously? Stannis Baratheon, dude. Seriously? Yeah, Stannis the Madness. I've gone to probably probably two, two or three. Yeah, two or three at this point. Not the San, not the famous San Diego Comic Con. I've yet to do that, but yeah. but I've done two or three yeah. only when. George R. R. Martin has been there. In fact, <laughs> believe it or not. Are you a, like a stalker? Is that what it no, is? No, no, no. I mean, he's going <laughs> like, to speak. To... And sometimes what he'll do is he'll, yeah. because he's not writing the new books anymore, he'll read an unreleased chapter at these things. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you go, you go and you got, you get to get like another piece of the story that you wouldn't be able to hear otherwise. So actually this last one I went to my, uh, believe it or not, I actually, I took my girlfriend at the time. I had just gotten home from deployment with the Navy and he was speaking up in Baltimore. So we drove out and, and sure enough, he, he gave a, a brand new chapter that had never been heard before. Did you dress up and go? You know what? We, we did not dress up for that one. We okay. wore, I just wore, you know, kind of a suit and she was wearing a dress. Is she still your girlfriend? Oh, she's my wife now. Oh, well, good. Well, well done. Well played. Right, well played. <laughs> there you and, go. And which character do you dress up as? Because I this I can't even imagine. There's no, by the way, there's no freaking way I would ever do that. Stannis, man. Stannis, Stannis Baratheon. So Stannis is, you remember Robert Baratheon, the old, the kind of drunk fat king? No. And Stannis, <laughs> Stannis was his younger brother. Okay. Who was, he was with the red, with the red witch. Yeah, I, I still don't know. I still don't. This is you're, you're talking to a guy that's maybe seen maybe ten episodes, and then it's just like, ah, oh, okay, I'm mostly watching for the gals. All right, okay, all right. You, dig, you, dig, you dig into it. We'll come back. We'll do another one. We'll talk all about it. Yeah, I know we're not doing that. We'll, we'll talk politics, but we're not talking about this. No, see, I think that's what I'm saying though. Is you've got to understand Game of Thrones to understand politics today because it all maps out. It all maps out. Now, brother, that part I get, okay? But you can read a good book, which is called Machiavelli and the Prince, right? Um, by The Prince by Machiavelli. Which I've yeah, read. Yeah, which everyone should read. And, and then The Art of War. There's so many different books that you should read. And then you'll truly understand the nature of politics, which is awesome. Well, speaking of politics, it's been a pleasure, my friend. We're going to have to have you back on. We'll, have to fi- we'll find another controversy because I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of them. Oh, what, these days? Controversies? No. <laughs> it's just it's just the news every day. All right. Hey, my friend, thanks for being right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Okay, the end of our show, bring it to the wrap, and I want to be able to talk about a Great, great sponsor. Now, if you're listening to the show, you've heard me talk about it in Stitchu. It specializes in custom tailored menswear for the modern gentleman. It's a perfect fit guarantee. That means they will alter the garment, remake it, or refund it, purchase in full. This means you have nothing to lose. And so this is a custom clothing. I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. I got one of their jackets. I'm going to wear to a crypto and, and blockchain event tonight that I'm going to to hang out and look for some of the new businesses to maybe invest in. And so you can, and I want to look sharp. I want to look like money. And I look like money when I use in stitch you. So they got custom tailored suits starting at four nine four hundred ninety nine and shirts at 
89 bucks. Never buy off the rack again. Hey, and my friends, don't forget also about my good friends at Elytra Health. That's the, you know, you invest in, in all kinds of things in your business, invest in yourself. And that's why you want to check out Elytra, E-L-I-T-R-A Health, the Manhattan Center for Life and Longevity. So what did I learn today on the show? I learned never judge a book by its cover. I really didn't think I was going to like this guy, and I liked him. And I say that a couple of times. I'm always surprised by guests sometimes. But it was articulate, smart, insightful, and actually quite pleasant and polite. So sometimes, even when you, uh, you know, I thought, man, when I first read about this guy and got to know him, and I went and followed him, and I asked the team, some of the team says, no, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I thought, oh, man, I'm not going to like this guy. I don't want to talk to him. Why Why did Mitch, my producer? Producer put him on a show. I was, I was actually going to call Mitch and say, cancel it. I'm glad I didn't because it opened my eyes that we have to be open. That's what this country is all about. And you have to hear everything on all sides. So like good leadership in business, why should you go and say, hey, here's the position I have? Why don't you say first, what is it you're thinking? What is it your opinion? What do you think we should do? And then as a leader speak, because you get some insightful uh, commentary. So there it is. And speaking of uh, being uh, insightful, You've been insightful by listening in on the show, so make sure that you pass it on to a friend. That's how we grow. Let other folks know that you can listen to us on iTunes and anywhere else you can find a podcast. You can tune in to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, and you can find us right here on C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.